Hey everyone, Colin Seal here, co-founder at Immune Competence. I'm so excited to bring you our new podcast, Powered by Plasma, an opportunity to tell different stories from around the PI community. This first one I think is super important. It's Mental Health Awareness Month, and I can't think of a better time to be talking about mental health as we enter what feels like the third year of COVID. Just kidding. I wouldn't do that to anyone. It's like month 14 or 15, though, of doing this. And I think mental health is an important topic right now, not only for the PI community and just what we have to deal with on a day in and day out. It's stressful. It's hard. But all of the effects of that are amplified by the COVID-19 pandemic. So we have a special guest couldn't think of a better person to bring in and, and help us talk about all the emotions and feelings that we're having right now than um, Jody Taub. She's a psychotherapist, has a private practice in New York, over 20 years of direct care experience working with everybody, children, adolescents, adults, you know, working with couples, families, individuals, and Jody specializes in treating issues related to mood and anxiety disorders and really dealing with the emotional issues that arise from coping with a chronic illness and disease. Jody's done it all. She's an expert lecturer, public speaker, published writer, and really just a mental health advocate, and we're so lucky to have her. Jody's also a member of the PI community, so I can't think of a better person to have this conversation with. You can find Jody online. Check out her website, www.jody.com. J-O-D-I, Tob, T-A-U-B, therapy.com. Or you can do like I do and follow her on Instagram at chronic illness therapist. So Jody, thanks for joining us. Um, you and I go way back. We used to get asked to speak at meetings kind of around the country, and uh, I joke, we were kind of on the travel circuit together. And I think what's really great about our community is we've stayed connected online, and uh, Jody and I were talking about this as we were reconnecting for this, and just said, wow, I don't know that we've actually either, you know, seen each other, even if just through camera, or heard each other's voices, because a lot of the communication we do as a community is online, and I think that's why this this was so important of one, hopefully folks are seeing some familiar faces. That's right, so that we can reconnect. And I'm really excited to talk about mental health um, today, Colin. And also, like, this is such a pivotal moment that you and I started talking about it. We're in an um, online support group together, but you know, that this moment is also pivotal because everybody's sort of going back and they're all excited and, you know, and we're excited too, but we have some limitations going on that are a little different than everyone else. And I think that although most of us are very hopeful and, you know, there's certainly a lot of positivity, there's also things that we can do and other people can't do. And I think that's why this moment makes it really tough because everybody is, going back to life, who's getting vaccinated, and we want to be there too. <laughs> I want to be like, yep, I got my vaccine. I'm good to go. I can go back to everything I did before. But, you know, that's not the case for us. We still have some um, limitations and restrictions, and that's not a bad thing that we have modifications, but it's hard when everyone else is doing what we want to do. 
for those that don't know Lisa, Lisa is my co-founder at Immune Competence, and we go way back of just trying to figure out, like, we just felt like, and I was telling everyone, we felt like there was a small voice missing, uh, and we continue to get louder and louder, and that kind of led to this, you know, whole mental health awareness conversation during Mental Health Awareness Month. So, you know, I think when we think back to the beginning of COVID, you know, I think for me, it was kind of like, I think back to 2020, I was still traveling. I mean, in February, when they were talking about this was starting to expand, I was due to go to Spain on a business trip and was like, oh my gosh, should I go? And there's, it happened to be the same week, there was this giant conference of people from all over the world and the conference got canceled and I just said, I'm going to go. I'll be safe. I'm basically hanging out with the same people and just going to an office back and forth. Totally glad I went. And even the week before I started my, I guess, quote unquote, quarantine, I had been in Detroit. Uh, I had been on an airplane, got home and ended up getting um, uh, really, really sick and was hospitalized for a couple days. And we have no... We're blaming the flu, but it was kind of in that weird time of they're like, well, the test wasn't really positive, but uh, your lungs don't look good. And for the first time since I was diagnosed in 1999, was in the hospital. And then it was like suddenly we're in quarantine and I, for the first time in my career, am asking my boss to work from home. And it's been this up and down and just trying to figure out life with a two-year-old and <laughs> my wife working from home. And I think everyone has a similar, I mean, I don't know, Lisa, what was it like for you as you suddenly like something's well, I, happening well, in the I, world? I, I gestated a whole human, right? <laughs> during this, during this time, like we, um, so my, I, my office, we started talking about it and then March 11th, so March 10th, I had a day full of meetings. I had a meeting after work, came home, was planning to work from home on March 11th anyway. And we were, um, we were setting up for me to be able to run our webinars from home. And then <laughs> that was the day the first case happened in my county. And so we were like, shut it down not going back into the office. And so my boss, you know, we had already discussed it earlier. Like if there was, you know, when there was a, the first case, I wasn't going to come to the office anymore after that. Then fast forward to that Friday or that Thursday. So that was a Wednesday. The Thursday, my office shut down. Um, and so they said, you can come in on Friday and get your stuff, but starting on Monday, you're working from home regardless. And so, you know, then the, th the Thursday after that, I found out I was pregnant. <laughs> so it was like kind of a whirlwind. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a lot to happen between, like, the... Um, it's kind of like whiplash, because you have something so happy happening when the rest of the world is, like, really subdued. Um, and so that's a real, um, that's a really strange feeling and, and trying to be, trying to figure out how to navigate it safely because pregnant people are even more at risk, um, from COVID. And so it's, it's just, it was really, um, a really hard time. Yeah. And I think, I mean, Jody, you, you were in the epicenter. <laughs> 
I was. Um, yes, New York City was not a good place to be for a PI patient at that time period. So it was, it, was, it was really crazy. And I'm on daily IV antibiotics almost two and a half years for osteomyelitis of my sinuses, which is bone infection. So for me, um, you know, first of all, it was, you know, frightening because you come into, you know, in New York City, anybody's been there, you come into about, I would come in about 30 people within 20 seconds of going down my elevator. But um, as many of the people on the call today, one of the things that was most challenging is that I have ongoing medical care. Um, I have nursing care that comes out twice a week to access and change my port. At the time, I just had a new port place that wasn't working well, and they canceled the surgery for it, so I didn't have access to care. So we packed up last minute, two by two, like Noah's Ark, packed two of everything I owned, put it in a suitcase, and went off to Cleveland and never went back to our apartment. So um, I was able to access the Cleveland Clinic. We were able to live with a best friend from growing up, and that was um, prior to the spread. I think at that point in Ohio, they didn't even have any cases yet. Um, and we stayed there for three and a half months, and when things got better over the summer, then our lease was up and we came out to Long Island. And so we've been living here ever since. So my life has changed quite dramatically, but I can't, you know, I'm really happy that we were able to quarantine here because I've been doing a 15 month quarantine. <laughs> there was no summer vacation uh, for social distancing. And I know that, you know, many of the people on this call and, and obviously Colin and Lisa, I know you guys can relate that, you know, this has been a long time and we've seen the ebbs and flows of, you know, other people, you know, this winter, more people were quarantining and spending time in. And again, we're at this other pivot and moment where um, PI folks and high-risk folks are taking sort of a different path at, at this point. So we're at a new juncture now. Yeah, it kind of felt a little bit like whip, whiplash. You know, it, we, we went from all the mes messaging of let's protect the vulnerable, let's, let's you know, let's shelter, let's keep people safe. And then it was a sudden shift to uh, let's, um, let's go on out without masks. And that, that's really been a jarring change for many of us, I think. Yes. And I think part of the thing, you know, for me personally, I really have not gone anywhere. And so I haven't been anywhere public in 15 months prior to my doctor's appointments. And most recently, as people have been vaccinated, um, you know, I started getting out a little bit more and I was like, oh, people are actually wearing masks outside. You know, I can think about maybe going into a Starbucks or feeling comfortable to start going places a little bit more. And then <laughs> they yanked the chain on that. And and I want to make a point about the masking part that's really difficult. And, and maybe where some of the people on this call might need some direction is that we're happy for everybody. All the vaccinated people, I am thrilled that you are, you know, able to go out and do things. We want that. The more people that get vaccinated, the better. And with the recent research that we now know that um, there's limited chance for spread for people who are vaccinated and, you know, that they're safe to us. So that opens up the door for us to see friends and family members, which is phenomenal and the thing that I miss the most. Um, but I think what's hard is that, you know, like I'll talk to people and they're like, oh my God, you're vaccinated. Do you want to go boo, you know, A, B, and C? Like, <laughs> yes, I still have to wear a mask. Yes, I'm still taking those precautions. And I think up until the last week and a half, I've seen more information about immunocompromised folks having to take those precautions. And Colin, um, you know, and you, Lisa, and Nancy, who did some editing, thank you for writing that piece. And I'm um, 
in the Baltimore Sun about how we're feeling right now because I felt difficult. I had a difficult time personally. Every time I'm telling my friends, no, actually, I can't do very much because I'm getting that information from my medical team and medical world, but they're not hearing from it from a broader sense. It sort of seems like either I'm being overzealous or they don't understand. And and so not having that information communicated on a regular basis from officials puts the onus back on us. And I think that that's what makes it really hard too. Yeah, it feels a little bit like hypochondria, you know, mm-hmm. where where we we often get that feeling, I think, more than other folks. And, and it's something I know, you know, we've all sort of dealt with. Yeah, and I think it's, um, you know, when we wrote this piece, it was, uh, it was you know, it was funny because I certainly, most certainly saw how I was feeling and was like, wow, this like, it's like another thing. And I know we're going to get into a little bit about like transitions and some other stuff, but it was just one more. And I think the really, really hard part is, is I had read a bunch of articles and had just seen, they were talking about immunocompromised people, specifically cancer patients and, you know, didn't really see our voice. And then I think the other really, really hard part was, you know, I realized it wasn't just me that was upset. Really, the entire community was kind of like, wow, our final our final thing had been taken, you know, our final safeguard was kind of away because for me, I would go out wearing a mask and didn't mind going to a store, just being mm-hmm. careful. I go to the office a day or two a week uh, for my day job and would wear a mask and people were very respectful. We're a really small office. Um, so I think for me, I got that feeling that a lot of people are feeling now with masks kind of going. And then it was like, oh man, for the third time in 15 months, as soon as we go with no mask again in our area, I'm going to be going back to quarantine to work from home until we kind of figure this out. And and I feel very privileged that I have that opportunity because a lot of people don't. But it felt like we needed to get loud. And, you know, I'll just say, I think one thing that was really cool about this article is, and Lisa will probably tell you, I'm a skeptic anytime we try to write anything, thinking like, okay, let's stretch. You know, here come the naysayers. Here come the anti-maskers. Like, the crazies are going to come out of the woodwork. And I've gotten more emails from all over the country of just, like, thank you for writing what I felt and didn't know how to verbalize. And, and, and as I saw those, I had a little bit of my skepticism and my faith in humanity restored. Um, and it just was so cool to see that um, we're, we're, we're kind of picking at the, we're poking the right bear here. And I think that's what some of this conversation is, is is that struggle I had, that struggle of the conversation I had with Lisa and Nancy trying to figure out what this was going to be. You know, how do you, how do you kind of handle that? And I think it's, I think it's important and, and it's not just us. And I think this is another thing we can touch on. We live with people. <laughs> Uh, you know, very fortunate, you know, I know the, we all, um, to have a significant other who gets it and understands it. Um, but it doesn't just because she gets it, it doesn't make it any less hard on her. So, um, yeah, kind of want to jump in here guys and and let's dissect this a little bit because I think this is the important piece of, of figuring out like, 
oh, you're feeling a certain way, that is going to lead to something else if not dealt with. Yeah. Yeah. I think part of it is, you know, we all know we're having feelings. Like, like you said, putting a name to those feelings is really difficult. And not only putting a name to those feelings, but also kind of processing them. And I know that when the CDC guidelines were changed, that's when I sort of started processing a lot of the past 15 months where it's been back and forth and just like so much uncertainty. And, you know, we've all sort of in our community sort of had the same messaging, at least internally to our, our PI community. And it, and it, was so strange to have that be so discordant to what the public was was sort of experiencing and and that led me to feel like the weight of that 15 months of feeling like everyone had an immune deficiency in a way um Mm -hmm. all of that kind of disappeared and all of that you know holding on to the fact that other people were as frightened as we were um and that you know trying to put a name to that i think was important colin and and put sort of articulate that in a way that was going to be more helpful um, because a lot of people are struggling with just how to do that. And so Jody, I know, you know, you are a therapist. So do you have any sort of um, any sort of thoughts on how to communicate those feelings better and how to maybe process them, whether with someone who, you know, you're living with or you're friends mm-hmm. with or how to process them externally otherwise? Thanks, Lisa. Um, I'm going to comment on a couple different pieces and components of that. And and one of them is, and Lisa, you touched upon it before, is that you said the lang- you used the language a couple minutes ago of saying, you know, those of us in the PI community are used to feeling overlooked or not heard. And so part of the issue is like, as this kind of goes along, when people were going through the pandemic, there were a lot of people who had different fears and phobias and anxieties. We had some real fear and phobia, <laughs> and it was rational because many of us had been in serious healthcare um, situations that we understood the gravity of our circumstance that we had to survive. And also, we have an idea that, okay, well, yeah, I, I'll make it through COVID, but many of us are left with the ramifications of living with long-term, the consequences of long-term infections and knowing what that meant and not being able to access care. Too, because that's another component of worrying about just our routine care. Are we going to be able to do that? So I think for many of us, there's we've been feeling anxiety. Many of us have suffered from depression this year. But I'm going to use another language that and a word for this, and I think this is really important. It's been traumatic, and and the word is trauma. Um, I've been sharing quite a bit of content this year to help normalize this for. Um, folks with chronic health care conditions, but also folks who have PI. And in, our, you know, in the sort of greater world, people will sort of look at grief and, and they'll use um, Kubler-Ross's brief grief model, which applies to death and dying, but that doesn't apply to chronic illness. Chronic illness is um, complex trauma, meaning that the trauma goes on. It doesn't end. It's not an incident where someone has PTSD because they had either, you know, some sort of acute incident and then they have memories of it. Complex trauma, you know, is used um, to describe, you know, domestic violence, long-term familial 
abuse, but it's also used for chronic healthcare conditions because anytime you have a serious life-threatening illness, and many of us, that was the process for getting diagnosed, um, it, it, that you do go through complex trauma. And people who have chronic healthcare conditions, the complex trauma is that it, this is ongoing. We manage our healthcare conditions. And the trauma, the danger comes from within. So it's not just that there's another person. It's we don't know when our body is going to flare up or something's going to happen. And in some ways, that's, meant, that's protective. We need to know when something's wrong. You know, if my, you know, I'm hurting somewhere likely that, you know, is telling me to pay attention and get in touch with my physician because something might be wrong. But from a mental health perspective, it sets off sort of a fight or flight response. And I think what's happening with all of us is that this has been traumatic. Every time we hit these moments where we feel like we're going to have some freedom or we feel like there's some connection to others and some understanding and some support, then we hit another milestone where things are confusing, we have to feel uncomfortable, we have to feel unsafe. And so anytime that any of us are feeling unsafe about our bodies, you know, that's trauma. And so I know that there's been many folks in the PI community that during these shifts and when these things have happened, people have had a trauma response. And those responses are normal. So I'm going to tell you that again, it is normal to have a trauma response and it is okay to have a trauma response. It, acknowledge it because trying to um, move past it, pretend it's not there, push it down, invalidates what you're going through. So take the moment, say, okay, this is a big deal. I need to validate and recognize that, yes, people who are not wearing masks right now, uh, you know, some of them might be vaccinated, but we only have a certain portion of people who are vaccinated right now. So if you walk into, you know, a grocery store and 90% of the people aren't wearing masks, well, we know 90% of them <laughs> are not vaccinated. So that's, that's going to be a safety issue. So once you acknowledge that and validate it, then I want you to kind of move through reminding yourself of the resilience that you've had, that you've gone through a really difficult year, remind yourself of all the ways in which you've coped and have been able to cope. And then the third part is talking to people you know, talking to friends and family members. Um, one of the things that I've suggested to some of my patients um, and then also um, some people within the PI community is to, you know, you can write out an email. So instead of having to constantly tell everybody, you know, like, no, I can't do this. No, I can't do that. Cause it makes you feel badly that you're always saying no to things, or you also don't want people to make assumptions and leave us out. So one of the things that I have done myself and, and recommend other people to do is write it in an email and, and it's subject to change as everyone has learned. But if you say it in one time, one time, it gives people set expectations and then they don't have to keep asking you and you don't have to continue really tra traumatize yourself by saying all the things that you can't do. And it gives people perspective. So Jody, walk me through a little bit on, you know, how do you identify these feelings and then when are they too much? So I think that um, one gauge is to say like, you know, what's, what's normal in the context of the circumstance and what isn't. So I think a lot of people were having a hard time differentiating that this year. Um, Colin, you and I talked a little bit about what's clinical and what's not clinical. So in the context of 
this year, was it normal for you to, for people to feel bored, to feel frustrated, to feel angry, to, you know, feel a whole slew of negative feelings this year, to feel resent, resentment. All of those things were normal feelings because it was in the context of the circumstance. So, and when you remove the circumstance, you know, the environmental stressor, things should start to lift. When it turns into something that's clinical is when you're having a hard time functioning. So things that you used to do are becoming, you know, more and more difficult. So signs and symptoms of clinical anxiety or depression or any physical type symptoms. So feeling, um, for anxiety, it would be feeling panic or kind of feeling a butterfly feeling in your chest, um, having perseveration of thoughts, which means like um, looping thoughts um, in your mind. So if something bothers you either, you know, at work or home and and you're irritated, but then it starts um, into a common narrative um, of something you don't like about yourself or you're frustrated with and you can't stop thinking about it and it has nothing to do with what you were upset with and you just can't seem to get out of it. Um, some people feel withdrawn. Some people will feel tearfulness. Some people will have, um, with depression, a feeling of um, boredom, feeling that feeling irritated across the board. Where if you said, "Okay, I'm just kind of in a bad mood," or you realize that everybody is irritating you that day, um, sometimes people will feel um, kind of a pit in their stomach, or feel hopeless, or feel sad thoughts. Um, some people will have disrupted sleep where they either can't get to sleep or they wake up early or wake up in the middle of the night. So those are some signs and symptoms of clinical anxiety and depression. And if you're feeling any of those things, hundred percent, you should seek out, um, a mental health professional. And if you're not feeling those things, it's still a good idea. There, there was a lot that happened over the last 15 months and there was a lot that all of us had to go through. And if you're thinking about it, or you're debating, or you haven't um, gone through the process of therapy, I highly recommend it. I think it's a great place to have your own um, separate, safe um, space to, to figure out how you're feeling about things, to identify feelings, and to help develop coping skills. I think that's really, like, those coping skills are really important. Mm -hmm. And it's also important, i found, because I, you know, I started therapy because I had some postpartum depression issues, mm -hmm apparently having a baby in a pandemic can contribute to a lot of mental health issues. Um, so I think, you know, for me, engaging with a therapist was extremely important. And, and you know, having someone who wasn't in the house with me to talk to so that I wasn't sort of pouring everything into my husband, um, because that's not really fair to him either. You know, having him having to shoulder my mental health burden along with what he was dealing with, you know, it's not, it's not really fair. And so involving a therapist for me was really important. And I know, you know, I've tried therapy in the past and I just didn't find a good fit for a therapist, you know, and, and so finding that fit is also important. So do you have any recommendations, Jody, on how to find a therapist or, you know, because I think pretty much like you have a primary care doctor, pretty much everybody should have a therapist. Right. I agree. Um, yes, and I'm going to simplify this. A lot of people will say, well, I need to have a chronic illness expert or, you know, I need somebody who specializes in A, B, and C. And actually, traditionally in mental health, up until recently, more of the social media age, um, you know, therapists worked in a variety of different settings, and that's where the population was a specialty. I'm going to say this, and I'll repeat it. 
All therapists are trained to deal with mental health. All therapists are trained to deal with mental health. So it doesn't need to be a particular expert who, you know, works with a particular population. I happen to work with chronic health care condition patients, and that's something that came later on, but that doesn't negate all the other experiences that I have. And probably, you know, over 70% of my patients don't have chronic health care conditions. So, you know, feel free to see somebody. They don't need to be a chronic illness expert, especially because there aren't a lot of us, and that could make it harder. The second thing that I say, and, and Lisa, I really liked how you brought up, it's about the right fit. It's a, it's a personality fit. That's usually who's the best therapist for you. So some questions to ask yourself would be, do I want somebody in what age group? Um, do I want somebody who's male or female? Do I want somebody who has more of a um, direct approach to things? Or do I want somebody who might who, who's a little bit laid back and a little bit more quiet? So that you can get that right fit for you so that you feel comfortable. That's, that's I think, the best place to start is to ask yourself those, those questions. Yeah, and I want to I want to jump in too, and and just share I think the importance of mental health, the importance of finding therapy, and I kind of touch on this like I had a lot of feelings and kept having feelings, and then the feelings continued, and then I went through the whole state of what you were talking about of like it's just COVID, it's just COVID. Everyone's going through this right now. Like I just need to work out today. It'll be fine. Just turn on some good, good, good playlist, and, and finally I realized, wow, I'm I am not coming out of this, and in a very similar fashion to what Lisa said, just realized, you know, for the sake of of me, the sake of my house, my my wife and and my son, I needed to get a li- some extra help because life certainly isn't getting easier. And so it was, you know, sitting down and going, what is this? And for me, that kind of happened, you know, for me, it started in Thanksgiving. And it was when I went, I had to go back into quarantine for two more weeks. We typically, like a lot of folks, do a big Thanksgiving and had to kind of renege on that this year. And then, you know, woke up Christmas Day, was not feeling 100%. And it was just like, God, no matter what happens, I feel like I'm I'm up against it. And finally was like, okay, I, I definitely need to start talking to somebody. And it was interesting for a week. I poured over who was locally, should I do online? Um, and I want to come back to online because I know that's there's an important difference with online therapy that has just recently come up, is talking about, you know, do I want to see a man, a woman, young, old? And I finally found someone where I was just like, oh, this seems like a good fit. And, you know, we started talking and in the conversation realized, and I'm so thankful that I made the decision to start therapy again and and have been in and out of therapy when I felt like I needed it because I realized what I thought I was upset about was not really what was going on. Um, it was not really what I was upset about and like session two and we've been going for a couple of months now, I walked away and just stared at my notes after my like second online session with my therapist and was just like, wow, like didn't even hit me 
what I was going through. I thought it was some childhood trauma that I needed to figure out. And I realized, no, I was, I needed to figure out and maybe, um, figure out how to deal with primary immunodeficiency. And the reason maybe I hadn't done it yet is, you know, I kind of am a primary immunodeficiency patient for a living. (laughs) A lot of folks who may know me just know this has kind of been my career in this industry. And, Um, was always told like, God, he deals with it so great. And so never thought maybe it was just not, was having some acceptance issues. And finally realized, no, I was trying to live this normal life with this like little PI gremlin in the corner, as I put it. And then every once in a while, that little sucker likes to come out and slap me in the face and kind of put me put me on my rear for a week. uh, And then I was right back at it and didn't really learn anything. And I think where all of that came from of figuring out, I I need to do better. I'm moving into that next stage as a patient was COVID. It was just the nonstop reminder of you're not normal. You're not normal. Mm -hmm. And we talk about these transitions of the different periods of COVID of, You need to wear one mask. Make sure you have three layers of mask on. Make sure you don't wear masks. Make sure, you know, the people around you meet certain specifications. And it was like, God, this is harder than, like, dating was with a PI. (laughs) And so I think it's just so, so important. And I hope, you know, everyone who listens to this takes that opportunity just to go, wow, the people around me are all talking about mental health in this really beneficial way. And I think to a certain extent, the good news is a lot of us typically have have to have really good health care. <laughs> it's kind of a requirement to be a PI patient, and I'm not sure there's a ton of great insurance out there. I haven't found one that's just like, oh, you have PI, here's your infusion, so let's keep in touch. Um, but I have found even with bad insurance, there's typically a mental health component to it. Well, that's, that's part of the, the Affordable Care Act is that there has to be coverage for mental health care. And I think a lot of people don't take advantage of that because they simply don't know. Um, and, you know, for, for us, we found that, you know, simply changing from one sort of equivalent plan to another actually made it cheaper for us to access therapy along with other things. And so it's like, oh, why didn't we do that before, you know? And it, it, it made it a huge difference to just say, oh, it's a $25 copay? Like, that's... Okay. My immunologist like, oh, isn't oh, even $25 copay. <laughs> I know, I know. It, it's a, it's, it, for, for me, it's cheaper than my specialty copay. Well, and for those of us, those who are on the call who know, especially in the New York area, most therapists are out of network and we're not cheap because we couldn't afford to live on in-network charges in New York. That's why less than 11% of therapists are. But one of the things that's been really great during the pandemic was, was two things. One is that telehealth was now covered under insurance, which it was not prior to, prior to the pandemic. Telehealth was not covered under insurance. And the second part was, um, is that out-of-network was covered as well because they recognized that they didn't have enough 
therapist um, to cover that. So I hope, pe- you know, our hope is that moving forward and it offered interstate and some for a period of time, a lot of those emergency orders are over. But now this opens up another option for all of us that, you know, adding another appointment, having to figure out where somebody is now that many of us are doing, you know, I've been doing telehealth for 10 years and, and particularly with my chronic health care condition patients. We all, you know, most of them have done it at, at one point or another, um, especially my PI folks. You know, if I have an infection, I have something going on, I will let you know and we have that option. And that really opens up mental health to everybody now. Yeah, and telehealth, you know, that's part of my day job is working with folks who work on the payment structures for telehealth. And mm-hmm. those structures are here to stay, mm-hmm. you know, because everybody was like, oh, I can access healthcare more easily and still get, you know, a quality experience because that's what, you know, because with with talk therapy, you can get a quality experience in a telehealth setting. And I think that's been a really huge breakthrough for a lot of people. And another way to access therapy, if if your insurance has limited options, you can't really afford an out-of-pocket therapist, Another way is your employer, if you're employed, you may have access mm-hmm. to at least a short-term therapy relationship through your employer. There's, uh, there are these employee assistance programs, and those things actually have a therapy component, and those can help you access at least, you know, usually it's five or ten sessions with a therapist, and that can give you an idea of what it's like to be in therapy and whether or not it's worth it to you to try and seek out someone who can have um, a relationship over the longer term. And, you know, Colin, one of the things that I, that you brought up and, and Lisa, I think you brought up in a little bit is that one of the reasons that I think this moment is really difficult is that because our illness for the most part, for many of us, and at certain points is invisible, there was a level of anonymity that all of us had that not, not, I have never told more people in my life that I don't know that I'm immunocompromised. (laughs) And and when I used that language prior to the pandemic, people would look at me like I had seven heads. They had no idea what that meant. And now all of the decisions that we're having to make are, you know, are around the PI and our safety and their mundane interactions and and having to make those decisions constantly about work and safety and how we spend time together and, you know, are the vaccines working for us, not working for us? That also, you know, is really hard. All of us have have been put in a position where, you know, we still want to make sure people know that we're capable at work and that we can do things or that we're able to do things with our friends. And now we're having to really kind of talk about our disability because our disability is on display in our decision-making in a way that I, I know I personally have never had to experience. And I think that that part, part has been really hard for, for everybody. Yeah. And I think that's it. And I think, you know, I hope folks will take away from this that one, here's three people from your community saying, <laughs> and a mental health professional saying, PI is hard. Right? 100%. I've had, I'm 36 now, and I'm just coming to the determination. I haven't really been dealing with some of this 100% well. Right? That's, that's, I think that's normal, and it's okay. And I think the second Wait, thing is... 
Wait, you mean you mean it's not easy to <laughs> just like say, "Oh yes, I have a PI. It's totally cool." Yeah, you just get you just get your infusions. You're good to go. Yeah, yeah. You you only stick a couple needles in you. Like I'm good for three or four. Okay. You get your infusion. You're fine. I think that's it, right, though? And I think that's it. And then I think on top of that, life is not easy dealing with relationships and dealing with um, all of this in general on top of PI, on top of COVID. And now suddenly you're like, wow. I mean, if you didn't, if you were not on 100%, and had maybe already done years of therapy to figure out all of this stuff. You know, I have a funny suspicion a lot of people might be hurting right now. And I think, you know, Jody, we talked a little bit that, you know, it's not unexpected that maybe mental health issues hit the PI community a little bit harder than we may see in the general population. And I think you had talked about, you had seen some research on that um, and just some more statistics to really point out. Maybe you can walk us through to show why this is so important. Yeah, I mean, there has, there's been quite a bit of research, more significantly in the last six years, um, that actually PI patients have higher rates of anxiety and depression than the rest of the population. In a positive way, that research led to a study I participated with with the Immune Deficiency Foundation um, for a mindfulness protocol because of how high our um, anxiety and depression rates are. But I think that you know, I want to normalize that. Um, and also there was a very uh, large study that came out this year. Um, most recently, I think it came out this winter stating that, you know, we have a higher rate of um, mental illness and suicidal um, ideation and attempts. And, and so it's serious. So I think, you know, there's justification. I think there's two components to it. One is that this is very difficult. So clearly we are going to be exposed to, you know, higher rates of environmental stressors. But there's also a connection, and um, I've talked about this this year, um, is people saw with COVID that 11% of COVID patients ended up having major mental health issues as a result of inflammation. That often happens when you have a serious infection. It's not uncommon. Think about meningitis. Often people will have psychosis. That's one of the symptoms um, of meningitis. So for many of us that have had serious um, infections and viruses, that inflammation has um, predisposed many of us to um, clinical anxiety and depression. So try not to put the onus all on you that you don't have good coping skills and you don't know how to problem solve. You just you know, we were set up with a bad, <laughs> bad set of genes and circumstance. And unfortunately, the mental health piece went along with it. So this is not meant to be to blame anybody in the community. Um, it's meant to support you and to acknowledge why it's important to get help if you are having signs and symptoms. And depression is is super common, not just in the PI yes. community. We are more predisposed to have Absolutely. it because of our ongoing trauma and health issues and all of that but also it's very common and it's something that I think a lot of people are afraid to talk about just like in our community some people are not comfortable talking about their PI a lot of people aren't comfortable talking about mental health and talking about the things they need to keep them healthy and I know you know for me one thing that has been surprisingly helpful is like following mental health practitioners on Instagram great like seeing an affirmation that like it's okay that I didn't learn a new skill during COVID. 
I was just coping and that's okay. Yeah. You know, and even if I wasn't coping, that's okay too. You know, it takes a lot of energy and, you know, that's another thing we don't have a lot of, you know, it takes a lot of energy to cope. And sometimes all of our energy is spent just staying alive. Like, like our feelings are secondary to that sort of survival instinct. Absolutely. I, I think I've almost realized in the last couple of months, you know, working on my own mental health that I think my own mental health has helped me feel physically better. Like some of this burden is not like, like I get this. And so I, you know, I think again, just urge folks, your homework is going to be, we already know the entire community knows how to navigate their health insurance website, or they have a phone number to the call-in center. It's on the back of your car, just for the newbies out there. Um, uh, and just ask. You, you can ask. You can look online. I think most health insurances as well will even let you search for who's in network, could see you. Yeah, and Colin, I'll, I'll put a little add-in. I always recommend Psychology Today because it's the largest database of clinicians in the United States. And in there, you actually can use keywords. You can use insurance. You can um, choose you know different modalities, and you put your zip code in, and it show you, shows you who's available in your community. That's Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, and go look it up and just see. And I think that's so important. Just go see. We've got a couple minutes left, so I, I want to. I think there's another really big component here that we kind of touched on, but we had to get through all of my emotions, um, and that's uh, the people we live with. Whether it's your parents, your significant other, maybe it's a friend. Um, they may be vaccinated, but life just doesn't start again, and, and I think. Um, I think that's hard, and, and I think we've got to figure out, too, as, as these significant others, like, how, how do we broach that conversation and just say, it's, it's okay if you need to go see folks. It's okay if you need to also sit in bed and watch TV. It's okay if you're exhausted. I know this isn't the normal all of our friends are out and about and we can't be quite yet. And maybe even some, you know, having some, some hard conversations with family. I don't know if one of you wants to jump in and talk a little bit about that. Yeah. I think for me, it's like, you know, my husband has been so supportive and so great about all of it. And, and, you know, he's been very vigilant and he's been the person who's gone out like, you know, we've used a lot of curbside services and delivery and all of these things, which is hard in a rural area, and it took some doing to get, you know, everything we needed, but he's the one that goes to the Walgreens to pick up the prescriptions and all of those things, and it's been hard, and he hasn't had a haircut in a full year, and the last haircut he had, I gave it to him, <laughs> and it was just a buzz. It was a, like, straight-up buzz cut, um, so, um, you know he's going to get a haircut this week. And that's like a really hard thing because, you know, a, a hairstylist is like up in your space, right? And so, you know, we had to have a talk about, I am comfortable you with you doing this. I don't know if I'm comfortable doing it, but, you know, I think it's something that you need to do so that you can feel good. Do it. 
you know, and, and it's, it's, uh, yeah. it's looking at those risks. And I think that's something that PI patients like naturally do is like you, you have this risk benefit sort of calculation and, um, you know, we've been seeing family since December, really, because, you know, my family actually quarantined, my whole family quarantined so that we could have Christmas together um, and so that they could meet the baby. And, um, you know, my family has been incredibly gracious about sort of meeting me where I am because they all sort of understand, um, which I know is I'm very fortunate, but... Um, you know, they've been very careful and they've been following protocols and everything like that. And they're all still masking and being very cautious. And so my husband is, is, has been cautious, but like cautious and super vigilant. So getting him to sort of start relaxing a little bit and yes, wear a mask, go get your hair cut, you know, let somebody else wash your hair. It'll be great. Um, and that's, that's one of those little things yeah. that's been really hard. Oh, yeah. Lisa and Colin, I'm glad you guys wrote those. The caregivers are the unforeseen heroes in all of this, not only with your significant other, but there may be some people on the call who have children who have PI that you're taking care of and they can't. And you might have younger children either have PI or don't have PI and they haven't been able to get vaccinated yet. And so during this whole, you know, pandemic, we've talked about patients but we haven't talked about caregivers. And, you know, like I know um, all of us have significant others that we live with. My boyfriend, Sean, you know, he's my caregiver, but I got vaccinated early, but that doesn't matter because my vaccine doesn't really make a difference <laughs> quite yet. I still have to take precautions. I was happier. Our world opened up when Sean was able to be fully vaccinated because I know that he could finally go to a store. I mean, we were doing a really like, we uprooted our entire lives, moved into the middle of nowhere. We don't know anybody. And, you know, when Sean was able to, like, go into a grocery store and not do curbside and, and start to do those things, I felt such a sense of relief because I felt like a burden. And I think that's the hard part in all of this is that I know for all the PI folks, you know, we are some strong people. <laughs> to be able to get diagnosed and live with this, let me tell you about our level of resilience. So, you know, I think many of us were very well prepared to deal with some of the components of COVID, of canceling plans, not being able to do things, not knowing when you're going to get sick again, you know, having to change. But for the most part, we could live in society and do our things and our care and, and our family members, the loved ones around us didn't have to restrict the way they're behaving around us it, to the extent now, like all of us know you can't be around people when they're sick. But I think having everyone around you feel either fearful that they're going to kill you um, or feel this, you know, this burden that they have to now carry that weight for themselves. And so they had to behave in the same way we did, especially the people that were living with us. I know for me personally, that was one of the hardest things of, of the pandemic because I don't want to burden someone else. Yeah, I agree. And it's also been hard with, you know, I think in our house having you know, two people working from home and we have a toddler and then, you know, getting, you know, we have a two year old boy. So we're like, we're at the point where they define the terrible twos, you know, in the best way possible. Um, but that's hard when you're like, who's on the more important meeting, who, who's more flexible in their job today. And, and, you know, I think for us, that's largely has, has had to fall on my wife. Um, and that's hard. You know, we've, finally got to a point where we felt safe bringing in help, 
to try to help him so we could catch up certain days and um yeah it's just it's it's exhausting i think for everyone and it's funny hearing you both uh talk about that because we've had that same conversation in my house of i think maybe i'm willing to go to target and wear my crazy mask um you know and my wife sometimes will be like i think you're more ready to get out than i am uh and i think that's you know i think uh you know look at that risk It'll probably be okay, folks. And, and actually, it'll probably be even better than okay because you're all going to feel a little bit happier after you take that um, that that piece. I want to swing over and, and real quick and then head into the final piece here. I'm going to go a couple of extra minutes long since we had a few technical issues. Resilience. And Jody, you've said this word a couple of times, and I think right now... You could Google resilience and see a million articles. It's kind of the hot topic. I think in training and development, you know, you're hearing about it and all these things. I know I hear about it all the time in my day job. Talk to me a little bit about resilience because I think our community is more resilient than we might give ourselves credit for. And it's an important note to just talk about the success, the wins. A hundred percent. For You know, the first thing I'm going to say on this call is that everybody on this call, we made it through. So even though we're not out of it yet, the, you know, people are starting to get vaccinated. Things are getting better. The numbers are coming down. There, there are more treatments on the horizon and hopefully some antibodies will show up in our IVIG soon. Um, but we made it through. And when people think about going through difficult times, I think often prior to the pandemic, People, when people thought of trauma, they just thought of people left with a series of symptoms that, you know, if you experiencing something, if you experienced something that was difficult and traumatic, that then you were left the rest of your life with mental health symptoms and you weren't capable. And it's actually the opposite. There are many people who, in going through difficult times or who experience something that's traumatic, you actually come out on the other side better than where you were. You come out feeling more capable and more competent. And so in all of this, what I want everybody to do is, I'm giving, I'm giving a homework assignment. I want you to write down five things that you feel that you became more capable of during the pandemic. What, what did you learn to do? What did you become stronger at? And it could be something tangible, like a skill. Like I became better at bike riding and I learned how to drive a car again. But it also could be something where you enhanced an emotional part of you. Like, for example, you know, I feel much more confident advocating for myself about being immunocompromised. I, I you know, it's not something I led with. Um, but now I feel I have no problem telling anybody okay, I need a modification, I'm immunocompromised, please put your mask on and move out of the way. <laughs> no problem doing that. And, I, and, and it allowed me to feel more confident in that way. So I want everybody, the resilience comes from those things. And I think if you sat back and you thought about it, there are some things that you became better at this year. And that's what I want you to remind yourself, not just of the difficulty or the, diffi the, the difficult symptoms you went through, but how you got through it, what you did, what you learned. I like that, and I see, I see a follow-up conversation already <laughs> on the five things you became more capable of during here. So I think that's awesome, and maybe we'll get something up on the blog or, or start some Facebook conversations on that. Just to kind of wrap up, and I think we talked about extreme bread baking. 
did did anybody pick up anything fun during COVID? Like, what was one of the things everyone picked up? If anything, like you kept your child alive in our house, we're taking yeah, that as a win. Yeah, that's that's, that's been thing, that's like. been my thing. Like, I have managed to gestate, birth, and maintain the life of a tiny human um, who is who is now six months old. Um, and you know, we're doing well. He's got one one tooth and two more coming. So. You know, we're we're having exciting times in my house. Jody, what about you? You said you learned how to drive a car again. I guess it just hit me. You've been in New York. I've been in New York for a decade, and I realized, oh, my gosh, I really don't know how to drive anymore. <laughs> and I actually felt fearful of it. So now I feel like I can – I got. I have my suburban street cred back, and I, know, I feel better driving. And because we had nothing – I have two other things. And we had nothing else better to do because we couldn't do anything. Our saving grace was riding bikes. So even during the winter – even during the snow, I dressed up like I was going skiing and <laughs> bike riding. But I feel um, much more confident riding bikes. And then, you know, to Lisa's point, which she was saying earlier, I've told a lot of people, a lot of people are like, oh, I should be learning French or, you know, reading the, the best novel. No, our year was to survive. Your brain didn't have the space for that. But I think the best thing, and, and if she's on this call today, my best friend from childhood, every Saturday, we did a phone call. Every single Saturday during the pandemic, up until the last two weeks, and we had another one yesterday. And that phone call with her is what is one of the things that really got me to the, through the pandemic. Whether I'm doing laundry or going for a walk, it's um, that tradition. You know, we would get busy, and although we would text a lot, it's really different than talking. And I'm really thankful that that came out of the pandemic and I hope we continue to do it. Yeah. I think same for me. I reconnected with an old friend. We had, we had lost touch four or five years ago and, and um, just out of the blue, he called me and was just like, Hey, I was thinking about you. Just wanted to connect. And um, it's been cool because he's a dad as well. And it's fun when we get the opportunity. A lot of times it's when one of us is in the car uh, driving for, you know, somewhere just to say, Hey, you know, how's it going? And, and I think that's, um, that's been fantastic. You know, I was the same way. I went into COVID. I was like, oh, my God, immune competence is going to take off during COVID. <laughs> I am going to have so much more time. I'm not going to be commuting. It's going to be fantastic. Guys, I can't tell you the last time we posted a blog post. I think I posted a blog post like right before I started therapy of like, man, this is hard. <laughs> Um, you know, I think for me, it was, um, I got to do a lot around my house. I travel a lot for my day job. I joke, you know, immune competence started when I was sitting at a bar in the Detroit airport texting with Lisa, <laughs> you know, that was just kind of my life for a long time. And to be home with my son for a year, uh, was just time I never would have had. And at first I didn't, you know, really get that. And I think now I'm just like almost bummed that we're starting to change it up a little bit, but you know, I know, I know we all need a break. So I think that was that. And then we wrapped up a lot of like house stuff. Like got a few, I, I watched a little too much um, DIY and uh, tackled some really great projects in the house and taught myself a few things. And yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. All right. How about favorite thing you binged? Now I know we can answer this without feeling guilty. <laughs> 
Well, I, I, I can't answer it because I binged so much. I think we watched, we were joking that we watched to the end of Netflix because we were both on parental leave during a pandemic. What else were we gonna do? All right, what about you, Jenny? I love The Queen's Gambit and um, Guilty Pleasure Outlander. Yeah, you know, for me, I didn't, I was nearing the end of Netflix and had been avoiding watching this one show. And I started watching The Last Kingdom on Netflix. So it's like kind of the, yeah, well, then I figured out it was based on 13 books. And I'm on book 10. (laughs) So not only did I watch all four seasons of the show, but I'm on book 10 of the series. And I'm already flipping to certain shows on Netflix going, when's the next season? When's the next season? Like, I could have lived on The Crown when I wasn't watching The Last Kingdom. That's true. One thing you miss, and and this one I think is hard, but we all have it. I think for me, just to start is, there's two, I think traveling. I think we we would have gone, you know, we probably would have gone to another country at some point in the last year. Um, And then uh, just that ability to go eat out, uh, I think for us was so trying new restaurants and different styles and things was just, um, was a part of our ritual. And, um, you know, that I definitely miss that. My, my small thing is choosing my own produce. Um, my, my, (laughs) my big thing I think is all the stuff I missed out on with my pregnancy. Like, my husband didn't get to go, come to any of my appointments. He wasn't able to be, you know, in the room when I heard Levi's heartbeat for the first time. He wasn't able to be, um, really the only appointment he came to was we had to have a fetal echo and then for the birth. And those were the two appointments he was able to be in the, in the room for. Um, and so I didn't have like a real baby shower. I didn't have, you know, all of those things you kind of expect. Um, which had pluses and minuses, but there was a lot I feel like I missed out on. Um, I think the biggest thing, I miss my life in New York. Um, You know, one of the things that you live in New York because you want to live in communal living and you have, you know, just walking out my front door, I literally would have conversations with my doorman and people in the elevator and someone at Starbucks. And, you know, um, I miss those nuanced everyday social interactions. Um, that's what's kept me safe is not having them. But I can't wait till I, I can't wait to be able to have that again. I'm a people person. I miss people, um, and, and that's yeah, and that's just so hard. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, Lisa, last one. What gives you hope? Um, I think more people are being vaccinated than I thought would get vaccinated. Um, and so that, that gives me hope. And also the article saying there was an article recently published that, um, COVID antibodies are going to make it into our plasma products sooner than I had expected. So that also gives me hope. Lisa took the words out of my mouth. Those are the two things of, you know, that the vaccines, um, and I'll add one to the one she was talking about is, I mean, we all know that we're dependent for us to go back to life. We're dependent upon uh, herd immunity. And then also for, you know, us to have the ability for, you know, antibody response, depending on our particular PI and, and our systems. And when I heard 
you know, we still didn't know about the transmissibility level with the vaccines. And when those studies came out about a month ago showing um, that, you know, that they were not only were safe, but that if people had the mRNA, they were less likely to transmit it to other people. It really gave me the opportunity to feel like, okay, I can really see people who are vaccinated, they're protected. And, and that gives me so much hope. And the article that Lisa is talking about, so that you know, it's like we keep feeling like we're so close. And even with the mass mandate um, lifting, I feel that the hardest part is over and that the next step is that we just have to hold on a little bit longer. Um, but those things are around the corner. Yeah, no, that's great. And I think similar, I think, is um, I won't steal anybody else's. So I'll give you two more. I think one is um, thank you to everyone who continued to donate plasma during COVID. I'm, I'm, I'm sporting my, my powered by plasma. I, you know, so thank you guys. Um, without you, this was a worst case scenario for our community. Um, and that, you know, we talked a little bit about masks, but really our, our IG therapy was our last, is our last line of defense always. So, and, and we can't do that without you. So thank you. Um, and please keep donating. Uh, and I think the final piece I shared you know, we when we got our op-ed published in the Baltimore Sun, I was a little like, okay, let's see the response, because, you know, in the past, Gleason and I, through Immune Competence, had made some bold statements, and we tried some stuff out, and it's kind of the beauty of this platform, and we've gotten... Colin was ready, Colin was ready to fight. <laughs> yeah, and Lisa, remember, remember when we took out and I took out a giant Facebook ad against that movie? I forget what it was, I and like a were, yes, 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 and we were beefing with some tweens for a while <laughs> at like one o'clock in the morning. I remember my wife coming in and going, "Are you coming to bed?" And I'm like, "I'm in a fight with some like twelve year old in Cincinnati right now." <laughs> um, and so I totally had that vision and. I think just about every day I'm getting continuing to get emails of just thank you for your posts. Thank you for your message. You know, this was a really great, not even argument of just, uh, this is why this is important that we just slow down. And I think for me, it gives me a little bit more, um, sense of what's really going on with people right now versus like, you know, whatever your news channel is, because it really shows that when you don't read the comments and when you just let people, um, I tend to find people are more likely to say, send you an email when they disagree with you versus reading something and go, wow, that was so great. Let me send an email to the organization and say, thank you. That's much harder. And it means we, I think, touched a lot more people and, um, yeah, it just really, this week was really uplifting seeing those responses we have a little bit of opportunity to test the waters. And I think because of the way we're set up, we have the opportunity to push on maybe not the, um, there's not always a bright side to this. And sometimes I think you have to take a risk and be willing to jump in and talk about it. I would love to have an ongoing discussion. This has been really great. And I love that the two of you, um, have have set up the space in the PI community to, to be real, to have a place for patients that are, it's run by patients and it's for patients. So, well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to everyone that tuned in. Thanks, Colin and Lisa.